0: Hi, I'm Gary Duncan, the Executive Director of Worldwide KFUO. Thanks for listening online to our programs, our stream, our podcast, our online on-demand audio. We appreciate you. Remember, KFUO is a listener-supported broadcast ministry, so we do rely on your support to continue. So please prayerfully consider making a gift today. You benefit from the programs, and you know how important it is to get the message out to the world. And that's what we do every day here at KFUO. For more information, you can call area code 314-996-1518 to talk to Mary or 996-1520 to talk to Mark. Ask them about the different ways to give to the ministry of KFUO. Thank you in advance for your support. Also, tell your friends about us. Most important of all, pray for the ministry of World YKFUO, the messenger of good news.
1: Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk Matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org.
0: Welcome to Concord Matters, uh, this December 20th, 2016, as we're coming up on the nativity of our Lord, Christmas Day and so forth. Uh, welcome to Concord Matters. I am this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, coming to you from Cheyenne, Wyoming, where the sun is out and so is the wind. And so that's kind of a normal wintry day for us up here. I am joined with two guests today, one of which right here with me in my own study, and that is Pastor Marcus Bakey, who's Associate Pastor here at Our Savior Lutheran Church. Uh, welcome, Marcus.
2: Hey, you good to be on uh, Concord Matters again.
0: And also, over the phone lines, we have Pastor Matt Moss, who is Pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church of Klinger and St. Paul Lutheran Church of Reedland, Iowa. Matt, are you with us? I'm here. Good to be with you. All right, welcome. Glad to have you with us. As you know, by listening to Concord Matters, you're listening to the Book of Concord. That is what we Lutherans believe, teach, and confess, uh, what the scriptures teach, and uh, what we want to confess before the world all around us, what determines what we believe, what determines what we do in our churches, in our day-to-day lives, in our homes, and so forth. We are a listener uh, show. Uh, You can call in and ask questions if you'd like. Uh, listener lines are locally there in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. And otherwise, you can call toll-free 800-730-2727. So, all right, we are in <clears throat> that Book of Concord. We are covering the apology or the defense of the Augsburg Confession. And we are particular. We're still in Article 2 on Original Sin. Last week's program, they ended up with paragraph 34, so we'll pick up with paragraph 35 today as we discuss this original sin. So for those who are just turnin- tuning in and so forth, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession comes after the Augsburg Confession. So in on January 25th, 1530, you have the Augsburg Confession. The Roman Catholic theologians take what they hear and what they read and so forth. They come up with what they call a confutation. That is a kind of a rebuttal of the Augsburg Confession. And then uh, the Lutheran theologians, Philip Melanchthon being the primary one, go to work and work on the apology that's not an i'm sorry but a defense of what the augsburg confession teaches why we believe this where in scripture this actually is showing to be true and why the roman catholic uh, refutation the confutation uh, is incorrect um, and in some places devious Uh, so we'll get into that today All right, so we are in the Book of Concord. we would use for Concord Matters uh, the Concordia Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord. You can get it from Concordia Publishing House, cph.org, if you'd like. They've been recently running some sales on it, so you should be able to get it for a good price as well. Here we are, paragraph 35. Here, our adversaries attack Martin Luther because he wrote that original sin remains after baptism. They add that this point was justly condemned by Leo X, but his imperial majesty will discover a clear slander on this point. Our adversaries know in what sense Luther intended this remark, that original sin remains after baptism. Luther always writes that baptism removes the guilt of original sin. However, the material, as they call it, of the sin, concupiscence, remains. He also adds that the Holy Spirit, given through baptism, begins to put put to death the concupiscence, and begins to create new movements within a person. Augustine speaks in the same way when he says, sin is forgiven in baptism, not in such a way that it no longer exists, but so that it is not charged. Here he confesses openly that sin exists, it remains, although it, it is not counted against, against us any longer. Augustine's judgment on this point was so agreeable to those who came after him that it is often quoted in the decrees of church councils. In Against Julian, Augustine says, The law, which is in the members, has been overturned by spiritual regeneration and remains in the mortal flesh. It has been overturned because the guilt has been forgiven in the sacrament by which believers are born again. But it remains because it produces desires against which believers struggle. All right, so there's paragraphs 35 and 36. And here we have this uh, slander uh, against Doctor Luther, Pastor Moss, would you start out and and kind of start talking about some of this? Uh, why why all of a sudden are they going with slander? I mean, is it they don't have any scriptural grounds to go after Luther here, or what?
3: Well, yeah, they. Um, as I think most of our listeners will be aware, there was a a very big dispute between the Lutherans and the Roman Catholic Church of their day, uh, going back all the way to the sale of indulgences. So there was definitely no love loss uh, between these two groups, uh, one set of theologians versus another. And when those kind of rivalries develop, um, you can often find yourself putting the other person's teachings and writings in the worst possible light. And it appears that that's what they were doing here uh, with some comments and articles that Luther had made about uh, baptism and the effect it has on a Christian as far as forgiving the guilt but having the sin remain. And uh, Luther was not creating something new when he said that, but as our article just showed, St. Augustine himself uh, wrote that way. Um, But the the Catholic theologians, and in this case it went all the way up to Pope Leo X, um, were were so desperate to find grounds uh, to reject Luther and have the common people rejecting Luther that they really had to cast this, this quite negative light on his articles and even condemn them from the sea so that it would... Uh, I guess, be tangible to the, the everyday person, that Luther was now somehow disparaging baptism and its effects. And that wasn't so, what he was doing at all.
0: So this is related back to, like, ten years previous with the charges against Luther when they excommunicated him then, right? Yes. All right, so that's what it's talking about when it brings in Leo the Tenth, Pastor Bakey, you have anything to add to that?
2: Yeah, if you look at the Augsburg Confession Article 2, it doesn't really talk about this, which is kind of funny, since the Romans are writing the Confutation to the Augsburg Confession, not to Luther in particular, and yet uh, they seem to be grasping for anything they can find uh, to oppose the Lutherans, and so they dig into Luther's writings to uh, find this original sin remains after baptism. So, uh, As many of the listeners may know or have learned so far, the Confutation isn't exactly the most polished document, and and not the the best work of of Rome. And, And so here we See an example of how they couldn't necessarily oppose what was written in the uh, article of the Augsburg Confession, so they had to dig a little deeper and, as Pastor Moss said, put the worst possible light on what Luther wrote on the matter.
0: Exactly. And that's uh, what happens, of course, as we know the kind of history of the computation. At first, they refused to give the Lutheran theologians an actual copy of it. Uh, So the Lutherans kind of have to listen closely and try to write down the bullet points of what kind of things they're contesting. Uh, what's interesting, of course, here in, in article two, if you remember the structure of the Augsburg Confession, everything up in the first 20 articles is supposed to be pretty well agreeable, that uh, these are points that we're just confessing for the sake of, you know, this is this is general truth, generally accepted truth, shouldn't have any disagreements here. Uh, but of course here, right away in article two, you have uh, some severe disagreements. In fact, the computation uses the words of condemnation uh, about some of the things that we're we're gonna talk about today. So we look at this, and we look at Le- Leo X is going to condemn him, and then the Confutation kind of grabs onto this because they're kind of grasping for straws. They're not sure how to really take on this. Uh, Pastor Moss, why don't you take and just explain for a little bit what this is talking about when it says, you know, uh, Luther always writes that baptism removes the guilt of original sin, however the material remains. If you would kind of explain, and I know kind of the quotes here from Augustine kind of do that, but if you would also, for our, for our own people's ears.
3: Yeah, this would be uh, just a very simple way of describing what Lutherans will, and a couple articles later, call justification. Um, that we are declared righteous, forgiven, our guilt, that which we bear, uh, in this case of original sin, uh, that guilt that we bear just purely by the nature of being conceived and born from sinful parents, Uh, that that guilt is not uh, charged to us, but is actually uh, paid for in the blood of Christ, and then uh, we are declared righteous and, in fact, truly objectively uh, forgiven uh, at our baptism. And so that is what he means by the guilt of original sin is taken away, um, that we are at that moment at your baptism, declared righteous that the death and damnation that you deserve on account of being conceived and born in sin uh, will not be charged to you. Uh, and that, that fact itself, that original sin warrants a, uh, a punishment of death and damnation, is something that the Roman Catholic Confutation disagreed with. Uh, with the Lutherans, that even that basic effect, that uh, original sin warrants damnation, is something they could not agree with.
0: Yeah, and in fact, we'll deal with that in the in the coming paragraphs here, um, <clears throat> with how they deal with this and, and how the life of the Christian and so forth is dealt with, and the corruption of original sin, and of course, we'll have to get into kind of Roman Catholic definitions of what this means versus uh, uh, what the Lutherans confess this is, and of course, the Lutherans confess this right alongside of Scripture. So, uh, paragraph 37 we see here, uh, after we move past the Augustine stuff, which has basically been summarized nicely by Pastor Moss there. um, Paragraph 37 reads this way, it says, our adversaries know that Luther believes and teaches this, and since they cannot deny this, they instead try to pervert his words in an effort to crush an innocent man. Now, I'm not sure if Luther would always agree with the words innocent man, but in this case he would be considered innocent, that he's done nothing but confess the truth. but this is this is a good example of course they didn't have grounds to really go after this article so they kind of have to manufacture grounds um the idea there is that you know the goal is to crush the lutherans so this is how we have to try to do it and even if we have to kind of fabricate some things we're going to do that all right so we're going to move on to paragraph 38 and following and we're going to be introduced to this idea of concupiscence Uh, which, uh, which we'll see here several times come up. So paragraph 38 and following. They argue that concupiscence is a penalty, but not a sin. Luther maintains that it is a sin. It has been said above that the, the, that Augustine defines original sin as concupiscence. If they don't like this, then let them argue with Augustine. Besides, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, I would have not known what it was to covet Concupiscence, if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Likewise, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. No amount of sophistry can overthrow these points. They clearly call concupiscence sin, which is not charged against those who are in Christ, although by nature it is deserving of death where it is not forgiven. All controversies aside, this is what the fathers believe augustine in a long discussion refutes the opinion of those who think that concupiscence in a person is not a fault but merely an incidental and inconsequential matter just as color of the body or ill health is said to be an adi all right so there's lots to unpack in here so pastor bakey if you would just kind of briefly clarify this idea of concupiscence uh, for our listeners uh, just kind of put it in in kind of layman's terms if you could
2: yeah, concupiscence. It's kind of a, a tricky word to pronounce, so uh maybe the easiest way to remember it is that little uh, syllable in the middle there, concupiscence, uh, which reminds us of Cupid, that little baby with wings that flies around and shoots his arrow, and when that arrow strikes, you're filled with desire. Concupiscence is desire, and as uh, Article 2 of the Augsburg Confession teaches us, it's specifically desire for evil, or uh, as it's translated, evil inclinations. So concupiscence is to love what is evil, or to desire after sin. Um, to go back to what Pastor Moss had said earlier, this really has to do with that chief article, uh, justification for the Lutherans, we confess that we are justified uh, through faith alone. The Roman Catholics, you remember, deny that. They they condemn that, in fact, um, that we are justified instead by faith uh, and love. Well, then the question is, if that's the case, why is there still sin after baptism? If baptism really is the washing of, of new birth and, and renewal by the Holy Spirit, if we're justified through baptism, Why then is there still the inclination to sin? Why do we desire sin? Well, for the Roman Catholic, they're kind of trapped in the corner. And so they have to say, well, that's not really sin. Because otherwise, then they're saying baptism doesn't really justify at all. Because that desire remains.
0: Thank you. Uh, We actually have a caller. Steve from St. Louis is on the line. So, Steve, what's your question? My
1: question has to do with uh, compute versus... Which, which I believe in. Uh, but also, even that aside, even if I did not inherit these desires to sin, my father made himself an enemy with God. And I don't know that, and I think there's scriptures that would talk about this, but we are an alien race from God uh, simply because my father was God's enemy. And I think there's a slight difference there. I wanted to see what you guys thought about that. It's not my thought about, I don't know, the Greek and all this kind of stuff, but uh, you know, just because my father sinned against God, God would have an enmity against me even if I never sinned. We would still be in the same boat. And sometimes I think that is not appreciated or maybe overlooked.
0: Thank you, Steve. Pastor Bakey, if you you would kind of uh, give some commentary about this question Steve presents. Yeah, the the formula of Concord
2: speaks about this, and uh, I don't know that I'll be able to find it in this moment here, but but the formula speaks about it, saying that even if uh, a person never actually sinned in thought, word, or deed, and then they add in parentheses very quickly, not that that's possible in this earthly life, um, but they they do confess. Even if that did happen, still, we would remain under God's wrath on account of original sin, which I think is what is uh, being said here by Steve, that through Adam's uh, fall, we have all inherited uh, this corruption, this 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 nature sin, which is another topic in the uh, formula of concord, um, yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's very good. And then also, I, I think maybe Steve was was going back to the close of the commandments there, uh, that punishing the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Um, so I think that's what he was referring to. Uh, Pastor Moss, do you have anything you want to add to that?
3: Uh, sure. Um, one way to I guess, respond to that uh, hypothetical is, you know, the, the formula engages it, but then parenthetically says, but not really possible. Uh, the other is to kind of look historically at where it all went wrong and see that it's just a hypothetical that couldn't be. Um, the fact of the matter is we look at Genesis 3, and what we see is our first parents, Adam and Eve, uh, committing what we would probably classify, uh, if we're going to kind of go back to some confirmation class basics, uh, an actual sin that they committed against God by breaking his commandment that he had given them. And by that actual sin, they also corrupt the nature of all their children. Uh, this is Romans 5. And by that, now nature corrupts all who are uh, reproduced in the, by these sinful parents. Uh, so this might be one of those cases where engaging the hypothetical might not be the most helpful um, way to talk about how it is we come to be alienated from God and inheriting this hereditary sin, rather let's go back to those very parents who have done this and and see that their actual sin produced or uh, effected a corrupt nature, which every one of us has inherited, save one person who was not born naturally of a human father and mother. And he is the uh, center of even this article on original sin, and that's Jesus Christ, uh, how he was spared from receiving that uh, sinful nature that we have that we all have received
0: exactly and in fact in scripture you can kind of track it um, When when god creates adam and eve or the woman as she's first called um, <clears throat> it says he creates them after his image and likeness but when you get to genesis five and you have the birth of seth uh... it says that adam you know had a son after his own image uh... that that the image has changed It's no longer the image of god uh... but it is now the image of sinful fallen adam that is now pa- being passed on to his children, and so you can just see that right away in Genesis. But of course, Saint Paul makes that very clear in Romans about how this moves on through. And of course, here speaking of Romans, you know we have this Romans seven uh, that Paul says in Romans chapter seven. You know, I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, "You shall not covet." And likewise, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So he, he's talking about something that's inside of him, uh, a corruption uh, that is going on. And of course, he's referencing original sin here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as, as Lutherans, we read this and we, and we read this as, as Paul talking in the present. So he's not talking about his pre-converted life or anything like that, uh, as maybe some reformed theologians would try to read that. Um, but he's, we take it literally that he's speaking of a co- ongoing challenge now. When you research this, Roman Catholic theologians tend to take this all to mean kind of a figurative. Uh, Romans 7 is kind of a figurative description, that Paul's not really being serious and talking about original sin being sin. Uh, any any ideas on the, on the exegesis here you'd have to get to in order to say this is Paul talking figuratively and not literally? Pastor Moss.
3: Well, other than... Uh Starting with a, a conclusion already in mind, um, no, I, I don't see any way that, that Romans 7 should be taken figuratively, unless there's a, a conclusion that someone's already trying to get at and, and is kind of forced into a, a box of their own design.
0: Yeah, and in fact, I mean, Paul, when he, he when he wants to go figurative, Paul usually lets his his readers, his listeners, know. Uh, he usually tells them that he's, he's doing something like that. Uh, so I, I just don't see it either, uh, but here you have a, a great difference between Lutherans and really uh, uh, almost all other Christian denominations. We have a great difference here in original sin. That that a Lutheran will confess that original sin is itself sin, and in fact a Lutheran will say that it is uh, the the worst sin. And so uh, we we have all of that uh, ongoing. Um, we have got uh, Steve back online so maybe uh, maybe we didn't catch quite what he was asking. Steve what what do you have?
1: Well, this is this is kind of what I was thinking. If two nations went to war and then one nation, you know, the leader who started that war died and they're gone, even though that uh, that the hostile that person's died, hostilities continue. And there is a debt even if that other group says, "Hey, you know, our fathers died. Why are you mad at us? No, even if, even then, we as a race uh, or them as a race would be uh, held accountable. And I, I, I think I look at this as a new
3: creature
1: and a new race type of way of looking at forgiveness. In that, a lot of times we look at it as sins, but there's a the bigger picture is how. Or we are alienated from God. You know, of course, we, we all do sin, but I think it's another part of the good news that we don't really see preached or understood uh, as, as the Gospels presented. So I was going to just, that was my little illustration of okay. uh, kind of what I meant there. So uh, thank all you right. for taking the time.
0: Well, thank, time. thank you, Steve. Yeah. Well uh certainly there there is different aspects of things that we can preach and teach on uh the Lutheran focus here is going to be on the depravity and I I hate using that word cuz it ties in Calvin but the the corruption of original sin the guilt of it that that you know it is enough to condemn and of course then when we teach that properly with the severity of what it is then of course the grace of Jesus Christ becomes that much more that that truly we want to give all honor and glory to Christ for salvation of anyone and of course uh, the hypothetical of, of if we didn't have sins, well, that, that is purely hypothetical, and, and it just doesn't happen uh, from our earliest moments on. We are sinful, uh, and so that's just how it is to be a child of Adam and Eve. All right, you've been listening to Concord Matters here on kfuoam Radio. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back after a little bit.
1: Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. This is President Harrison. The LCMS is blessed by its exceptional volunteers to bring the love of Christ to others through humble yet inspiring acts of service. Philippians 1, 3-5 says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. May you be blessed and joy-filled. In Queen Elizabeth's 2015 annual Christmas Day speech, she invoked the Bible to encourage hope in difficult times.
3: It is true that the world has had to confront moments of darkness this year, but the Gospel of John contains a verse of great hope, often read at Christmas carol services. The light shines in the darkness,
0: and the darkness has not overcome it.
1: When Queen Elizabeth was asked the secret to her remarkable consistency of character and extraordinary contribution to nation, commonwealth, and the global community, she said, I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel.
3: There are millions of people lighting candles of hope in our world today. Christmas is a good time to be thankful for them and
1: for all that brings light to our lives. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible.
0: Welcome back to Concord Matters here on KFUO AM radio. I'm this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor at our Savior Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with my two guests, Pastor Marcus Bakey, Associate Pastor here at our Savior Lutheran Church, and also Pastor Matt Moss, Pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church of Klinger and St. Paul Lutheran Church of Reedland, Iowa. We are discussing original sin from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, which is Article 2. We have kind of been discussing paragraphs 39 and 40 and so forth. And so in paragraphs 40 and 41... The the or the apology, kind of references this. No amount of sophistry can overthrow these points. So they've just made points from Augustine. They've made points from Saint Paul in Romans chapter seven. Now they're going to kind of reference again uh, these fathers, uh, Pastor Bakey. If you could just kind of explain to people, you know, we have the Roman Catholic Church, which which uh, is often confused with when we when we Lutherans want to use the word Catholic. Um, can you kind of just describe the catholicity of the lutheran faith
2: yeah of all the slanders leveled against the lutherans one of the worst is that we are innovators that this is some brand new doctrine that we've invented Uh, and that is not the case at all Uh, i I remember i visited a roman catholic church a long time ago and uh, they had uh, an image of the christian church and it was a tree and the roots were the apostles and then the trunk was the roman catholic church and then there was a picture of a lightning bolt which severed a branch from that tree and that was the lutherans and the protestants and all the rest that's the that's the image rome has of itself rome is the tree we are the branch that has fallen away The Lutheran confessions take great pains to confess the exact opposite. I don't know that they actually come out and say it, but throughout is implied very strongly that if anybody has innovated, it's Rome. And so throughout the confessions, especially in the Apology and in the Augsburg Confession before it. You find reference upon reference to church fathers, the writings of Augustine and Ambrose and others. You find uh, mentions of the councils and their decrees, as you find in uh, paragraph 36 of this article. Uh, you find references to more recent Theologians. If you turn back a, a few paragraphs, you find in paragraphs 27 and 28 references to Aquinas and Bonaventure. Uh, so you find all kinds of references, not just to Holy Scripture, although that certainly is the case throughout, but to the Church Fathers and to the councils and to the decrees of the Church. And in so doing, the Lutherans are saying, we are in line with all that has been confessed rightly before us, according to Holy Scripture. Where there has been innovation, it's been on the part of the papists, on the part of the uh, bishops and cardinals, and on the part of the uh, confutation. They are the innovators. The Lutherans are in line with what has been taught throughout history because they are in line with Scripture.
0: Which is also a beneficial teaching in understanding that Lutherans believe the church existed before. The Lutheran Reformation—that uh, we're not some kind of restorationist church or anything like that—but yet, and we believe fully that God has been at work through His means of grace, uh, indeed, from the beginning of time, uh, that He's been at work through His Word, uh, making Christians out of out of us sinners. And of course, that gets into this idea of original sin and where we stand there. So, we've been discussing these things, Pastor Moss. What is what is it talking about when he when this word sophistry comes up? We don't really have that kind of word in our common usage anymore. What's, yeah, what's the closest sophistry? we would
3: have, I guess, the sophistry would be kind of sophisticated, or um, basically a word for wisdom and philosophy. Uh, this would be how um, theologians of any stripe, even our own Lutheran theologians, can be uh, at risk of this temptation to think too highly of our own human reason and ability uh, so instead of taking a scripture passage at its plain literal sense, in this uh, paragraph we looked at Romans 7, and so instead of reading it for what it actually says, we're going to filter it through uh, a human philosophical system. Uh, and this is this takes place in every era of church history, it seems, whatever the popular philosophy, uh, whatever the popular... Uh, scholastic way of understanding the world around us is, uh, the theologians are going to try and take that and uh, run God's Word through that kind of uh, system. And, uh, one, it's a very poor way to approach God's Word, and in this case it leads uh, the Catholic theologians, as the Lutherans are going to show, to many inconsistencies and even contradictions. Uh, so I hope our listeners will bear with us as we go through some of the next few paragraphs and define some terms uh, that, the, that the Roman Catholics were using, and, and they will be a bit difficult because they were ultimately contradicting themselves in several uh, important ways.
0: Thank you. Uh, so, we went before the break and we talked a little bit about how Lutherans on original sin is, is very different than many other denominations. In fact, we call original sin to be sin itself and, and, and that the desire is sinful and everything else. And that, uh, in contradiction to that, uh, the Roman Catholic Church believes that uh, really only once you get to the action level, it's sin. Uh that desires are not sinful unless you act upon them. And they have kind of a saying about, you know, you can't have a sin if it's not voluntary. And and of course so they would believe that the Lutherans are wrong here by just saying that just, you know, the corruption of of sin on in you is is already sin. Uh and so they would have this. Now, Pastor Bakey recently in the news the pope made some news Uh, he he said some stuff about the the homosexuality movement and so forth. I don't know if you want to just use that quick as a a contemporary example this Roman Catholic error. Yeah, you'll have to bear with
2: me because my memory on that statement isn't as good as it once was. But uh, he said, I think it was in an airplane, uh, he said something along the lines of, if there is a homosexual person who truly seeks after God and, and desires to do his will, who am I to judge? And everyone latched on that phrase, who am I to judge? And people thought, oh, Pope Francis is overturning years of Catholic dogma, he's innovating, he's coming up with new standards, so on and so forth. But he is right in line with what Catholic theologians have taught and confessed for centuries, going back to this uh, confutation. Uh, because, according to his hypothetical uh, person, who may have homosexual desires, um, those desires are not being acted upon, um, according to Francis. And so it remains in the realm of concupiscence, which, again, is not sin. Uh, And so for Francis, this person who may have sinful desires, which is not sin, also has the desire to seek after God and to follow him. And so Francis cannot condemn this hypothetical person. Uh, for his hypothetical desires, because those desires are not sin according to Roman Catholic theology. So who is he to judge? He cannot judge what is not sin.
0: Exactly. And Pastor Moss, you want to talk a little bit? You know, we talk about desires. What about what about thoughts? How do they fit into this picture?
3: Yeah. At at this time, at least when we're we're reading the apology and hearing how uh, the the Roman Catholic Church is putting it as it's only a sin if it's a voluntary action. Um, and that might work in a court of law, in a, in a civil court, but actually in, in God's judgment, um, even the thoughts are fair game. They are sin, and they are judged. And I think we want to uh, remember, I guess, which column we would put that in. So I, I guess if your listeners could imagine their 7th uh, or 8th grade confirmation classroom You know, on one side of the board you have original sin uh, this is our corrupt nature it is described as a lacking of original righteousness that we are without fear, without trust in God without love for God, without knowledge and having this natural inclination to sin uh, and then on the other side you have your actual sins Uh, sometimes called in Scripture, the works of the flesh, or the fruit of wickedness. So here you would have different types of sin, of commission, maybe stealing something, or sins of omission, failing to do something good that you had the chance to do. But we would put all three that we say in our Confession on Sunday morning, sins of thought, word, and deed, all three of those are under actual sins. Uh, I think here the Roman Catholics are moving thoughts a little closer to just the original sin side. Um, and because they don't see original sin as truly sin, let alone uh, punishable with death and damnation, um, they're leaving out a huge chunk of what we need to repent for and and see Christ redeeming us from. In uh, this way, to use... Uh, The example that Paul used in Romans 7 that we just looked at, uh, he doesn't turn to uh, a sin of the hand, like murder or stealing. I didn't know what murder was until the commandment told me, you shall not murder. No, he chooses one that has everything to do with thoughts, coveting. That even if you never acted on your, your thought of coveting your neighbor's house, Uh, even if you never tried to steal it or con him into giving it to you, the thought alone is an actual sin that has proceeded from your corrupt nature, your inclination to not trust God for what is good and to
0: provide for you. And so so in your example, it's exactly right. that The coveting is the actual sin. However, the fact that you don't have to really ponder or do anything in order for coveting to just start happening uh the 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 automatic nature of coveting helps prove the existence of uh original sin and the corruption of the nature that is it is bent against god and it's 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 you know not going to want anything to do with god in fact romans uh, would describe them as enemies of god and so forth and so that's a it's a fine example that coveting you know especially because so many people would probably put coveting in that kind of neutral or middle ground that you know you're n- you're at least not hurting anyone by coveting you know uh, but yet no it's an actual sin and even more than that it's a good sin to use to prove the automatic nature of what original sin does that it just it bears sinful fruit and that's the actual sins and so as we go through here we, we have this little interesting thing at the end of paragraph 41 you know that it's merely an incidental or inconsequential matter, just as the color of the body or ill health is said to be an aetiophran. Uh, that that this this idea of even diseases um, are just you know that, that original sin is just a disease. It's just a something that happened, um, which really goes back to kind of Pelagius, uh, who was an early church heretic who was condemned by the Catholic Church, and then uh, but then even more so as, as the Reformation plays out. That's actually how Ulrich Zwingli tried to portray original sin, is, is as a disease. Uh, that, that it's just a, it's just a disease, um, you know, and so it, it, it doesn't have the same kind of depth of, of damnation or condemnation attached to it. And uh, uh, Pastor Moss, do you want to talk a little bit about that? The, the idea of this, you know, ah, eh, you know, let's minimize original sin a little bit more. Uh, what, is it, what does it do to the work of Jesus? And then, what does that do to our view of man, of our of our fellow human beings?
3: Well, it it uh, diminishes the work of Christ, and it uh, it exalts our our opinion of of man. Um, and I guess I would point your listeners to a paragraph right before our section that began, paragraph thirty three, um, is really the, the the key of this passage. That the knowledge of original sin is necessary because. The magnitude of Christ's grace cannot be understood unless our diseases are recognized. Uh, that we, we cannot understand the, the, the greatness and magnitude of Christ's work of redemption if we are sitting here making ourselves better and better and better. Uh, and as far as how we deal with our fellow human uh, neighbors then, Uh, we will lead them to that place of, of either pride or despair. Either they believe they are as great as we're telling them they are because all these thoughts and inclinations aren't actually sin and aren't actually damning, so they get very proud of themselves, or we leave them in a pit of despair because we've made Christ so small of a Savior that when they do feel guilty about their thoughts, they think Christ only died for my actions, and here are my putrid, filthy thoughts, Uh, and those must remain with me then. Uh, But the answer that the Lutherans give is no, he, he dies for the whole sinner. Actual sins, original sin, the whole sinner.
0: Very good. So other examples of this kind of incidental treatment or inconsequential treatment of original sin would be something like when you hear people talk about, oh, well, you know, human beings are basically good. Uh, people are basically good people. Oh, look at those little innocent children, things like that. Pastor Bakey, any other kind of examples from our contemporary religious culture about, you know, this innate goodness in man and how that contradicts what Scripture says?
2: Yeah, we hear that a lot this time of year, especially with thought about, you know, our uh, the the spirit of man and, and have a little hope in the human race. And, and we're all basically good people. And yet... Uh, example upon example uh, show us that, no, this this world is corrupt and sinful, and yet we we still frequently deceive ourselves into thinking, well, maybe everybody else is bad, but I'm pretty good, or my friend is pretty good, my family is pretty good. Uh, and in fact, the later confessions speak about this, when they say original sin is so corruptive that we don't even realize how sinful we are, That that the only way we know about original sin is through the Holy Scriptures. Uh, and so it stands to reason that churches and denominations which mingle in human thought and opinion with the plain Word of God will quickly set aside this scriptural doctrine of original sin for a more optimistic view of human nature, and and this is evident in those uh, doctrines, in those churches, in those sermons that that try to um, improve human behavior um, through through moralistic preaching, um, through um, uh, I mean I mean you might think of uh, various children's clubs and organizations that seek to instill. Uh, a good character in the lives of their youth by urging good behavior that optimistic idea that well if we just uh push the human being in the right direction he will naturally tend towards what is right
0: and in fact you you know you have entire doctrines like the age of accountability and and so forth that come up uh, you have, you know, educational systems built upon the basic goodness of children and, and that you just give them the opportunity and they'll, they'll excel and they will, you know, do all these great things. And so all of that kind of plays against what the scriptures actually say about original sin. All right, so let's move on. Paragraph 42 and following. But when our adversaries argue that the evil inclination is an adiophron, Not only many passages of scripture, but simply the entire church contradict them. Who has ever dared to say that the following things, even if perfect agreement could not be reached, are indifferent matters? Doubt about God's wrath, his grace, God's word. Anger at the judgments of God. Being provoked because God does not at once deliver one from afflictions. Murmuring because the wicked enjoy a better fortune than the good. To be urged on by wrath lust the desire for glory wealth and so on godly people acknowledge these things in themselves as appears in the psalms and the prophets but in the scholastic academies they took from philosophy entirely different ideas desires and inclinations are neither good nor evil neither praiseworthy nor worthy of blame likewise that sin is only sin if it is voluntary action Philosophers were expressing such ideas about civil righteousness, not about God's judgment. They unwisely add other ideas as well, saying that nature is not evil. Properly understood, we do not reject this idea, but it is not right to take this understanding of what God creates as good and apply it to original sin. This is precisely what we read in the works of the scholastics, who wrongly mingle philosophy or civil teachings about ethics with the gospel. These matters were not only disputed in the schools, but as is usually the case, were carried from the schools to the people. These teachings prevailed and nourished confidence in human strength and supposed and suppressed the knowledge of Christ's grace. Therefore, Luther wanted to declare how great the consequences of original sin are and how weak human beings are as a result. So he taught that these remnants of original sin, after baptism, are not by nature adiaphora in people but that we need Christ's grace so that they are not counted against us as sin. And to put them to death, we need the Holy Spirit. All right, there's a whole bunch of stuff in those paragraphs. So let's start it out. Um, here again, we have, as, as Pastor Bakey so clearly said earlier, the whole Catholicity. that, that You know, when, when you have to argue that original sin is going to be inconsequential, just purely incidental, uh, They're contradictory, not only Scripture, but simply, as it says here, simply the entire church. Um, Then, of course, it gives some great examples of, you know, who who could deny that these things are sinful? Who could deny this? And, And, of course, well, according to Roman Catholic teachings, they would have to deny these things. All right, so we get to this, and it's a clear contradiction to the Psalms and the prophets and so forth, as it says but then you have this scholasticism that's talked about. Pastor Moss, could you could you talk a little bit? I mean, I know the Confession does a really good job of explaining what scholasticism is. Can you kind of give us an example of this or, or kind of explain it in a different way for people to hear it?
3: Well, I can try. Um, the scholastic academies that they are referencing here um, would be universities of their day, uh, to think about them in, in modern terms as well. Uh, universities where... Uh, great learning was taking place and as is naturally somewhat the, the understandable temptation for those of great intellect, uh, especially when they gather together in these uh, collegial settings, um, they gain a very high opinion of what man can accomplish. Um, and uh, and and this is true even for several hundred years before Luther, that these scholastic academies were very much taken with uh, human philosophy. They looked back to great minds like Aristotle, Uh, and and, uh, it would be one thing if they just read Aristotle for being Aristotle, or read uh, great works on political thought to gain ideas and insight into politics. The problem here that we have in view in these paragraphs Is that they are taking these uh, fruits of their academic knowledge and forcing them onto scripture where they certainly don't belong and then to make it even worse it is uh, seeping out of the universities and down to the common people so that uh, the regular people themselves are getting this this false confidence in their own human strength and and abilities, and their knowledge of Christ's grace is being swept under the rug uh, and put aside. That all that they were uh, focused on then uh, was what we might today call civil righteousness, uh, ethics, and um, the, the, the human philosophies of how to behave with one another in a society. Um, and, and anybody who, who reads the plain text of Scripture, the Old and New Testament, uh, will see that, you know, that that very quickly is going to lead people uh, astray and replace uh, Christ and his grace, uh, his grace uh, in place of our sin, with uh, human philosophies that, that leave us puffed up in our own self-worth and ability.
0: Thank you. All right, real quickly, we have another caller, James, from St. Louis, if you could ask your question quick. Sure. Uh,
1: Is it a scholastic construct to think that original sin uh, is a fortunate fall? Uh, Is that a scholastic construct to uh, conceive it that way, that original sin is a fortunate fall aspect?
0: All right. Any of my guests want to handle that? I'm trying to understand the. the well, is it a,
1: is if we had not had the fall of the first Adam, we would not have the appearance of the second Adam. Is it from uh, okay. from that particular construct?
0: All right. Thank you. I would. Thank you, James. Uh, we only have a couple minutes here, so I'll quickly just kind of try to answer. Um, Well, I mean, the the difficulty with scholasticism is applying human intellect and philosophies over the top of Scripture in our judgment of it and so forth rather than letting Scripture speak for itself. And so I'm not sure I have a good answer for you in regards to the fall because uh, Scripture just clearly teaches it and then clearly teaches then, of course, the coming second Adam and then, of course, teaches that the second Adam was even appointed to be crucified even before the foundations of the world. Uh, So we go with what Scripture says there. Um, You've been listening to Concord Matters. We are running out of time. Uh, This idea of original sin, uh, it is there to glorify Jesus and what he has done for us, That, that our sinfulness, our concupiscence, as we put it throughout this last hour, is there the depths of what sin has done to us, is there to help us to understand just how much God has done for us in sending Jesus Christ into our flesh to redeem us, to save us, to be exactly who God promised him to be, true God, true man, our Redeemer, our Savior. This time of year, go to church, hear that message, let Christmas really be Christmas, and attend a church service. Hear God's word for you about Christ coming to save you. You've been listening to Concord Matters. I want to thank both Pastor Bakey and Pastor Moss for being my guests today. I'm your host this week, Pastor Joshua Shear. wishing you a Merry Christmas and the Lord's blessing on you and your hearing of God's Word this week at church.